Hi, and welcome to Brothers Without Banners. I'm Dan, and I'm here with my brother Michael to help lead him through his first time reading A Song of Ice and Fire. We'll be diving into the chapters we're discussing today and those we read before, but the only spoilers beyond the chapters we discuss will come from Michael's vague memories of, be of the first three seasons of Game of Thrones, the TV show, which he watched a decade ago. Today we're discussing the last chapter of A Game of Thrones, Daenerys 10. Hey, Michael. Hey, Dan. First time doing that intro? First time trying to read through that? I, I don't know if this is too much insight about me there, but I uh, did the thing where I got to the end of the line and then tried to start reading the beginning of that same line. Uh, I don't know if that ever happens to you or if I'm just a little dyslexic. I'm going to say that has never, ever happened to me. No? Right. No. Well. I know how to read, Dan. Well, we some of us are learning. Podcasts about reading. <laughs> well, anyway, I'm doing pretty well. How are you, Dan? You having a I'm moment? good. I'm good. Uh, we've, we've taken a little while off here by accident. Uh, just had a lot of things going on in life, and I'm, I'm excited to finally wrap this up, Michael. We're done. I say it was a little bit of a nail biter with the last chapter being the one that like we take or take a while to get to. Yeah, I know. I felt bad. Uh, really, really would have worked better if we had done it after this one. But here we are. Yeah. Well, life happens. That it does. Should we get into things? Yeah. Where are we? What? What? Is, where are we? So this is a Game of Thrones. That's the name of the book. Uh, no, you know we uh, we've come a long way here. The last couple of episodes that we did were kind of dealing with the fallout from Ned's death beheading. We saw John try to run away, and then the announcement that they were heading north of the Wall. We saw Rob get crowned King in the North. Uh, king of the North. King, king in of the, the north. north. Michael. Whatever. No, what? it's really important. Also, difference? it's North How is with an F. No, it's definitely not. That's the way they said it on the show. King of the North. In the uh, North. <laughs> but now we're finishing up with Danny, and uh, and we've got some big fireworks from her to, to launch us off into book two. Yeah, it was. Uh, it's funny because I you even say in the intro we've talked about it before on this on the on the podcast too. But but obviously I did watch the first like three seasons of Game of Thrones. The first one I really watched. The second and third I kind of like started to phase out. But you know th there. Are, there are some significant things that happened in the TV show that I'm aware of. And, I, and, I, you know, and I, as we're getting towards the end of this book, I realize this must be where this last chapter is going. Mm -hmm. And that, that was fun in itself. That said, it was a... I know we want to go through it, but like, it, was a, it was a hell of a ride to get here. Yeah. Uh, in, in the best of ways, it also... And maybe, maybe you want to talk about this once we're done going through the chapter a little bit, but, like... Yeah. There's, like, the storylines of all the characters, and then there's, like, Danny's storyline of what's going on. That's fine. I'm curious. That's fine. I wanna, I wanna, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing from you in our in our wrap-up about, you know, your favorites and what really stuck out to you and things like that. But Danny yeah. has yeah, clearly yeah, been sure. up there for you over the course of this book. Uh, yeah. So I'm really happy to see that. Well, why so, don't we switch it up? What, you want to take us through this chapter? You want to you wanna close out your yeah. favorite book of all time? Yeah, a Game of to. Thrones from the series A Song of Swords. So close. I think Ice and Fire. Song there of Ice and Fire says it on the back of the book. You know, it's actually Let's funny see. you say that because I, I know there's no chance you know this, but the third book of the series is called A Storm of Swords. So you were right there. Um, but that Am wasn't I even like George a... George R. R. Martin? wasn't even like a subconscious <laughs> thing. There's no chance you've ever heard that and internalized it at any point in time. That's uh, true. <laughs> so yeah, so, so we, we start off here with Danny. Uh, just to keep us moving along. And when we last saw her, she had ended Khal Drogo's life. Uh, she had, you know, an assisted suicide situation with him being, seeming to be brain dead, uh, effectively, or at least very far gone, as the discussion with Miriam Mazdor went. And that's that's where we left off. And now we're picking back up. She is in the the Red Waste, where they are here, with the kind of dregs of Drogo's Kalasar. Everybody else has left them, and it's her and Ser Jorah and her blood riders, and then a bunch of the elderly and sick and the women that did not get taken along with any of the warriors there. Dan, I have a question. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's actually, you reminded me of it because of the last Danny chapter. I was thinking about this after the last Danny chapter. Okay. Okay. Miri Mazdur. Like, like, let's even take it further back. Yeah. Miriam Mazdor getting raped. The the Khal Drogo Drogians have come through. They've won against the sheep people. Yes. 
she's getting beat up and raped and Danny saves her. And she says, oh, thank you so much. I'll be your magician now or whatever. You're, you're, and I'm going to help Khal Drogo heal. Here's this yeah. cool thing for Khal Drogo. Move forward. Khal Drogo's ill. He's sick. He's fallen off his horse. It turns out Miri Mazdor did not like getting raped. And in fact, she kind of carried a grudge. And so she did this to him. Yes. Question, though. He took off the thing she put on him. Mm-hmm. He, she, he took it off. Like, is this... I was wondering if this was a continuity issue. I, I was wondering if yeah. George R. R. Martin just dropped the ball. Are, are the Reddit wires alit with buzz about <laughs> this incorrect that. motion? I'll be honest. I, I have never seen discussion of this anywhere. And I think that's a great question. Um, but I have not seen people get into it. And if there's an answer in the text, I don't necessarily know it. I guess there's a possibility that the thing he took off wasn't going to help. Uh, you know, like like it's nothing. Um, I just finished reading the the two books that are out of the King Killer Chronicles, and uh, which which were a lot of fun. I really enjoyed those. But there's a moment in one of those where the main character, who has studied at like their version of a university and and uh, you know gone to this world's med school, and mm-hmm. he's talking with some lady out in the boon boonies and. Uh, and she's like, oh, yeah, this herb that you guys use for everything literally does nothing. It just, like, adds volume to the mix, hmm. and you guys are completely wrong on this. So, like, you know, maybe Miri Mazdor gave him nothing, and then he took off the nothing and got the other thing that did nothing from the people. Uh, and this was just always her plan was for him to get infected and sick and die. Uh, but it's certainly not set out right, and I think that's a great question. I'll, well, I'll have I to look into that a little bit. a very smart and detailed reader. But or anyway, maybe it's a continuity issue. Yeah. <laughs> These yeah, things do happen. Uh, okay, anyway, sorry to interrupt. I did want to ask about that and I was reminded, but I'm glad that we did. Well, I'm not glad at all, Dan. There was no... Listeners, if you so. have any thoughts, if any of you have any ideas here, please do reach out and let us know. I'm, I'm curious to hear what people think. We need a name for our fans. Oh, God. Like the the, the banners of brothers. Our bro, banner folk. Bro heads. Bro breads <laughs> bro fans doughboys uh okay why not where are we <laughs> okay <laughs> all right uh you know no bad ideas in a brainstorm uh we'll keep workshopping okay okay we'll work on it we'll come back come back to me i'll think about it so uh so anyways yes yeah, so we start here and uh we have we have miri Mazdor tied up and kind of hanging out by danny um Danny pulls out Caldrogo's, uh, not Caldrogo's horse. Caldrogo's horse was was killed uh, during the ceremony, um, but pulls out a horse and ends up killing the horse. And, and Miri Mazdor said, "That's not going to be enough. Like you're trying to bring him back, you're not going to be able to do it." She says, "Whatever you mean to do, it will not work. Loose me from these bonds, and I will try to help you." Uh, which I find very interesting, considering her statements last time about you know life is effectively over, and here we have on the flip side of that now that she is facing captivity with Danny and presumably death at some point that she is still trying to negotiate for her life. And Danny says, fuck off. Uh, (laughs) You know, has her shut up and they start putting together a a funeral pyre, a platform to burn Drogo's corpse in. I actually love this, this moment of telling her to shut up. I mean, there's such a, I don't, I, I, I want to find the right term for it. Like, like, the last thread that seemed to connect her to who she was, this, this you know, idealistic maybe, loving, you know, th- somebody who had a vision of the future with Khal Drogo, where she uh-huh. saw things going. Uh, the, the ending of Khal Drogo, I mean, it was more than just the loss of Khal Drogo. It's the loss of her queenship. I mean, it, like the sort of establishment of that she had, the entire, you know, retinue that they had has left and sort of disbanded. She has a few, like... Like, I don't know, I want to say a handful, but I know it's more than that. You know, more people that are still with her, but not a lot, nothing to compare to. And it's sort of this moment of sort of like she's either going to step up into the role that that she knows she she deserves. The the queenship of higher than just the Caldrogo queen, right? Like like queen of... The Seven Kingdoms. Westeros. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but here, here she is, I mean, just total change in attitude. She, I mean, it's vicious. It's not even vicious. It's totally 
uh, inhumane, like how she's reacting to this woman. The woman's, you know, trying to bait her and, and all of this. She's like, no. And she gets a servant, one of the, I think, Blood Riders who's still there. No, the Blood yeah, Riders. No, one of the Blood Riders, yeah. Oh, it was one of the Blood Riders. But mm-hmm. you know, basically says, like, shut her up. And he does in the way that... <laughs> Yeah, she's she's rock hard here and very cold, um, understandably towards Mary Mazdor, but it seems to be a theme throughout this chapter that we're seeing some of that softness fall away in the wake of, of her losing Drogo and losing her role as Khaleesi. And sure. it's interesting to see the reaction to that because you uh a few Danny chapters back said that you couldn't imagine book two beginning with her starting over so to speak you know that that it would be a progression of some form you weren't sure what from her being khaleesi and being with the dothraki to whatever the next thing is and here we see that that's not the case and we're seeing her character respond to that in ways that maybe aren't all the most healthy um so that that's very interesting but like i said uh they get started building a funeral pyre pyre for drogo and uh and you know pile it up with all of his accoutrement yeah, all of the items, all of the glorious objects that he's kind of collected over time. Uh, and this is how you send calls on to the next life. Um, she stops the Blood Riders from putting the things she got at the wedding in there, the various weapons that she had. Uh, and we get a kind of whiplash between that with immediately afterwards Jor Mormont pulling her aside. And he's very afraid. He says, first he calls her princess, and they have this interesting conversation that I'll come back to in a moment, but his whole point, please, Khaleesi, I know what you intend, do not, do not. He's terrified about what she's going to do with this funeral, what she's going to do with Drogo's funeral pyre, and I, I mean, it's very clear here that he thinks she's going to end her life in this process, that she has committed herself to die with Drogo, and he instead wants to save her and whisk her away. I do wonder, like, you know, it, it's, you know, I, I think that the, I know you said you wanted to talk about it in a minute, but the comment about, yeah, no, let's go you know, it. princess versus queen, uh, and sort of the conversation there is, is again, I mean, really just the theme throughout this chapter is, is, you know, she's, it's time for her to either sort of put up or shut up, uh, you know, this king that she was married to, this leader that she was married to, she can't hold on to his coattails anymore. And, and I'm saying in sort of a more like cold way than the, than the emotions that she's going through. Yeah. You know, but it's a demand. It's a, it, 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 she, she's recognizing that she has to do something dramatic, uh, to move this forward. I think Jorah's recognizing the same thing and that he's thinking about it in a very particular way, uh, that she's going to throw herself on the, on the fire, I think. Yeah. You know, I, I like that this moment immediately precedes it just as I like her stopping the blood riders from bringing the, you know, the, Dragonbone bow and the other nice weapons that she had on there. Her actions here very clearly communicate that she plans to continue living. Uh, you know, when when she insists on Sir Jorah calling her queen, she says, uh, "Viserys is dead. I am his heir. Whatever was his is mine now." That's not something that's said by somebody who is expecting to commit suicide in a moment. And Jorah is so wrapped up in the fairy tale hero saves the princess motif here Mm -hmm. that he misses all of that and so it's it's just fun to see this whole conversation between them she says you do not understand and he responds i understand that you loved him and like i could just see in her head being like no that's not what i meant that's what you think i mean (laughs) that's exactly the problem you don't understand because we're talking about totally different things uh and, and he's he can't move himself out of that role of, of the savior of the damsel in distress. It's interesting the way that you're saying it too. And it fits so well. And it fits in a lot of what we've talked about already too, like in previous episodes, we often talk about characters in the book who are clearly following the sort of, you know, sort of heroic storylines of, of fairy tale, if you will. Sansa comes to mind. Bran comes to mind. Mm-hmm. There are even others, you know, on, on smaller extents and lower extents too, that sort of show up. The, that said, what we don't talk about a lot is the characters that don't follow it so stereotypically or the sort of fanciful storylines are actually still following a very sort of uh, typical narrative, if you will. Yeah. You know, Joffrey is the arrogant king. You know, he, he, this is his. He's going to do whatever he wants to do or whatever that might be. Even if it's, you know, Tyrion and, and uh, 
what's his name? Uh, I'm so sorry, Tyrion and Tywin. You yeah. know, and what their relationship is. It, it's not the fairy tale, but they're still living within their, you know, th- their cast. They're they're very much committed to it. D- Danny really is, and I'm trying to think if there's another character that jumps out about it. Maybe one, and I'll mention her in a second. But but you know, Danny really is this character who is bucking all convention. Th- mm-hmm. This is not what what she's doing here is so contrary to you know what the stories might be whether they're fanciful stories or not you know the other character that it, I'll, I'll even take a small aside one character i could see going more that direction is sansa mm-hmm. i'm sorry not sansa is uh aria yes aria there is we go the daughter that i uh, is aria just because of where she's kind of been like where her dice have landed but the other one that comes to mind is the um and i'm not going to remember her name either but is the uh the northerner the the woman from the north who was captured and is at Winterfell right now. Osha. Osha, whose life was also sort of turned topsy-turvy a little bit mm-hmm. and, and is now in a position I don't think she, she recognized, but probably less, obviously, much, much less so than uh, than Daenerys and what she's going through. Yeah. It's interesting to see her kind of bucking this convention. Yeah, I think what George R. R. Martin does a lot, in, in my opinion, is take the tropes and the structures that pre-exist and put them into different paintings, into different wrappers. And so you have, like you said, in Joffrey, you have the Prince Charming wrapper around the arrogant, uh, Mm -hmm. rich kid, psychopath, you know, noble prince king, whatever it may be. Uh, And so it's not that he necessarily bucks trends or, or, or is violating those tropes. It's just that he's putting them into a different situation where maybe they don't fit your expectations you look at the cover and then what's underneath isn't what you expect to find mm-hmm. and with danny it's interesting in this chapter because in another book sir jorah would be reflecting the reader's opinion sir jorah would be saying the same thing we're thinking which is oh right. danny has lost the love of her life this is so hard and so difficult i don't think there's really a twist here that she's not killing herself that doesn't really fit with her character at all and so it's interesting to have a character in the story in jorah see the rapper and put himself into that and just be totally wrong about what story he's in and what character he's operating and what character he's interacting with yeah no i like that i like that a lot so danny stands up and calls all the dothraki around and says they are her kalasar uh she will lead them now she is taking over regardless of what their traditions may be and going further than that anyone here who is a slave she is freeing them they can leave freely if they wish or they can stay and follow her if they wish uh she says you know it's it's unclear what we're gonna do um but i am here to lead you and today i am taking care of you Uh, i am responsible for you there is a place for all of you here she turns to her blood riders, and I, I love this moment here as well. She gives them the three bride gifts that were mentioned earlier and names them her co, which is, you know, her second in command, the way that Drogo had. And each of the three of them say, no, this isn't a thing. You're embarrassing me. <laughs> like, I'm not going to do this. This isn't yeah. how it works. Uh, she, and she just completely, really... completely ignores them. She's really, I mean, and it's funny because she, she's betting the farm on every, what she's doing here. The fact is, is that she's one amongst many. If it, 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 we're faced with these blood riders sort of like looking at her with disbelief, yet, yet a big question mark. Where are you going with this? What do you really mm-hmm. expect from this? And I think that's the sort of saving grace here. Because if everybody left, then that's a whole different situation. Although we will get to the end of the chapter in a second. If, you know, th- there's sort of a big magic trick that happens at the end here. That's really at the end of the chapter. And the fact is, and I love it because Danny, Danny, throughout this moment is also saying, uh, as as the, those that she gives these these gifts to, and saying you're going to be my co, are saying no, like this isn't how this works. Uh, she she keeps moving forward. She keeps thinking to herself, if I look back, I am lost. Mm-hmm. Like I can't, I can't show weakness. I can't show any hesitation right now. I need this to be a single movement, and that's what she does. And it, it, it's 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 pretty cool to watch all these reactions happen. It's a very heroic moment in a very non-heroic scene. Yeah. Very comedic stylings for, for a heroic, mo- otherwise mm-hmm. heroic moment. Yeah, I like that. She, she finally turns to Jorah Mormont and makes him, uh, asks for his oath as well, and makes him the first of her Queen's Guard, uh, which again, as, as far as we know, is 
not something that's existed. Obviously, we know of the Kingsguard in Westeros, but this is a new version of that. And Sir Jorah is the first one to say, I'm with you, whatever. You have my oath. I am here to follow you. Um, and, and so, you know, maybe positioning him last so as to end on the high note there makes sense. I am curious about him, though, by the way, as a character and where he... Because we don't really spend a lot of time in his, We spend no time in his head. Mm-hmm. We know him to be you know, Lord Mormont's, you know, kid who ran away. We know him to be excommunicated from from life, uh, cast out. And we know him to also be, I think, as a spy. I mean, we really know him to yeah. be somebody trying to get back into uh, King's Landing and into good graces with that with that kingdom there. You know, it's it's everything that he's doing, his actions, the way that he's written makes me think that he is committed to Danny. You know, that that he's turned turned a page in his life about what he's doing. But I am curious to see if this comes back at some point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, definitely strange to see or to try and figure out where it is he's at. Because we had the him sending the spy reports back to Varys. We don't totally know what Varys's goals are here. We know he's working with Illyrio, who was maybe on Danny's team. Uh, but then at the same time, Jorah prevented the assassination from going through. So a lot of, a lot of crossed signals going on with him here. From this little moment... From this announcement, Danny goes back in and uh, she bathes and dresses and then prepares Khal Drogo for, for the funeral. And I thought this ritual cleaning that she goes through here very interesting because it reminded me a lot of Jewish funeral rites. There are specific people in the community who take on this role of preparing the body for burial uh, in, in the case of Judaism. Um, and you know, obviously separate from the, the funeral pyre, which is very much so not the Jewish tradition. But that stuck out to me in light of something that I'm going to bring up in a couple of pages, so I just wanted to mention it here. Um, but similar to their last chapter where she takes him out under the stars and sleeps with him one last time, this had a very tender feel to it in contrast with her treatment of Miri Mazdor. Yeah, it's almost like a saying goodbye, you know, to, to the tenderness, if you will. I think yeah. there's a... It, it's not an uncommon story trope to have... You know, and finally, character hits rock bottom, and that's what activates their superpower. You know, right. I don't. You know, yeah, Peter absolutely. Parker comes to mind. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, like his, and that's a silly one because Aunt May is still around. But, but I think that the yeah, he always. You know, she got done dirty. <laughs> which time? I <laughs> every but, time. But I think every time I in the Spider Verse, Michael. It's it's, I think, but I think it's an honest trope. I think it's a very human trope. Is the fact is is that when we have things that we cherish. You know, it's we don't want to put them at risk. When mm-hmm. we lose all the things that we cherish, taking risks get a lot, gets a lot easier, and with risk comes potential for great accomplishment. And I think that's a lot of what we're seeing her face right now. She really lost what she had, what she was connected to, what was going to keep her vulnerable, and it's that loss is going to push her to the next level. Yeah, I think that's right. I'm, I'm I think that should be a college you. football coach. <laughs> yeah. All your family is dead. Play yeah. now. That's a pretty hardcore way of coaching. I do feel like there are some college football coaches who would try it if they thought it would work. I was just watching something about Urban Meyer, so... Ah, that'll do it. (laughs) (laughs) So, the next scene, uh, moving on from the cleaning, they move on to the funeral itself. And the first thing, one of the first things Danny does is demand that they bring the dragon eggs to her. Jorah grabs her. My queen, Drogo, will have no use for dragon's eggs in the Nightlands. Better to sell them in a shy. Sell one and we can buy a ship. Sell all three and you will be a wealthy woman all your days. Danny says, no, they were not given to me to sell. And places the eggs on the pyre around her sun and stars. Uh, Miri Mazdor tells her that she's crazy. Says, you're mad. And, uh, and, and Danny's response here is, it's so far from madness to wisdom, which I think is the perfect foreshadowing for what she's about to do. Uh, <laughs> at this point, they, they tie Miri Mazdor to the pyre uh, to burn her alive alongside Khal Drogo and light it. I'll say, you know, tying, tying Miri Mazdor to the, the pyre, I actually love this moment between Daenerys and Jorah Mormont. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's just an extension of what, what we were just talking about, but I find it to be... In a, in a kind of a great way, a, a, a strong mirror or, or parallel to Joffrey and Cersei is, you know, like like everybody thinks that their role will will everybody thinks that their relationship will supersede their, the roles, sort of the mm-hmm. caste system that's there, 
you know, Cersei thinking that she's going to control Joffrey, Jorah Mormont really taking this masculine sort of approach. Right. You know, yes, you're here as queen, but really, like, we could sell those. Let me don't let be me, the let me don't be the emotional your, woman. Yeah, exactly. Listen to me. And I think that that in in a great way, there's sort of the similarity between between Daenerys and Joffrey right now in the sort of like, no, this is my position, and you will come to me at this. You will meet me here. Oh, I like that a lot. Get the fuck out. Uh, and uh, pointed in very different story? directions, at least in terms of how we feel about it. But no, I like that. Yeah, there's a lot no, of similarities but, but, there. Yeah, exactly. And I also think too that there's sort of the, the that sense, and, and and I wonder looking forward into the next books of, you know, like like those who can not just talk the talk, but walk the walk. Are, mm-hmm. That's how you prove yourself in your position. I wonder if Joffrey, you know, we've got now, we've got Tyrion being sent by Tywin to go tame Joffrey and, and, and you know, cow him that little bit. You know, I wonder if Joffrey's going to step up into his, his, you know, vicious king, you know, kingship. Hood. Right, and actually kind of take control <laughs> yeah. as fully as uh, he's been trying to. And same thing with Daenerys, and and I wonder, you know, because I think she's going to have a lot of the similar adversity. You're not really the one that's supposed to be here. Mm-hmm. You're just being called Drogo. You're just being Viserys. You're just, you know, and it's like, no, like, like can she? I'm, I'm curious to see it from both these characters. Yeah. Miriam Asdor and Danny have one final conversation here. Uh, Danny says, I thank you, Miriam Asdor, for the lessons you have taught me. And in response, Miriam Asdor says, you will not hear me scream. Danny, returning to that coldness that we were talking about earlier, I will, but it is not your screams I want, only your life. I remember what you told me, only death can pay for life. Uh, with the heavy implication that Miriam Osdor's death is what Danny at least believes is going to cause what's coming in the near future, and I, I will be trying to get your thoughts on what actually happens here. Um, well, I so also, we'll, and I'm yeah. even, like, like I actually want to point at that too, because I, I like that, but something that you know, I, I, what this made me think of, because it's funny, because this jumped out to me too, is like, oh, is Danny trying to like practice what she's learned about witchcraft? You know what I mean? Like, like, right. like and, and apply it here. But I, I, I get the sense of this sort of like, like this incredible uh, military leader who he's, you know, they're not trying to be religious. They're not trying to, but it's like, you know what? Like, I think that my match will like this fire, but if so-and-so that I just captured told me that like, whispering these two words will make it a hotter fire mm-hmm. i'll whisper these words yeah i will use whatever you know, tools <laughs> you're given <laughs> exactly and I like I, so i don't think I, I got the sense from the tone of this this point in the story and this point of the chapter that i didn't think that danny was trying to you know do witchcraft as much as she was going to kill miri Mazdor, and she had full faith that with or without miri Mazdor's life i uh, what happens this was, next this was happening happen. yeah that said, I am curious as we go into other books if this theme of life for life continues, if this becomes mm-hmm. just a significant foundational like, like, like tenet to how this world functions. Yeah, you know, we haven't talked a ton about this, but Miriam Asdor referenced her temple. There's clearly some magic going on and some religious beliefs worked into it, and it's wholly disconnected from the religious systems that we've seen in Westeros over the course mm-hmm. of this book. So it'll be interesting to see if that has any roots elsewhere and, and what those are and where it's coming from. We also just haven't seen it go the other direction either. We've seen plenty of right. death with no life happening with it. Oh, certainly. Yeah. You know, it's not it's not necessarily a one-to-one. That's a great point. Post hoc ergo propter hoc. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> speaking of the religious side of things. Uh, speaking yeah. of the religious side of things, we get one, one last point here before we light the fire, which is a, a comet appears in the sky. The first star, a comet burning red, blood red, fire red, the dragon's tail. She could not have asked for a stronger sign. Uh, so Danny once again, clearly interprets this as related to what she's trying to do here. Uh, any thoughts on this? Is this actually magical? Is it actually an omen or is it, you know, a comet, <laughs> a regular comet? Honestly, I just think it's a flourish of a pen somewhere. Yeah, the, that's fair. The, I, I think that, look, again, and it's funny, because I was talking about this, I, th- I don't even remember how many episodes ago, right? Like, mm-hmm. like, is this a fantasy book? I remember asking, you know, is this a fantasy book, or is this, you know, a, a political thriller with, you know, the occasional dragon mention? You know what right. I mean? Like, like, like it, with an occasional sort of, like, like, you know, wand wave or something like that. I'm 
I know that we'll be doing a recap episode. I'm sure we'll talk about this more. Yeah. I'm willing to give this book a pass. I'm willing to give this book, you know, this sort of this 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 place of prelude. We, you know, all these old gods that we hear about up in the north, the religions that are alluded to, we haven't really met religious right. people. We've met some people who practice and mimic some of the old yeah. ways. We've seen church, church on Sunday down. Catholics. Exactly. And, 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 I, and I get that. And, and it's been relevant to their situation. Uh, I'll point to Rob again, right? They're, they're in the middle of a mm-hmm. war. I mean, like, like, like it's nice to, like, you know, pay your dues as, as no to, to those around No foxhole. But, yeah, exactly. With that said, back to your question about the comet, right? I don't know. I haven't seen this so much before throughout this book i haven't seen a lot of symbols and and mm-hmm. you know, things are talked about and pointed at uh there's plenty of imagery here you know and, and obviously like the the you know the, the mother tree right like the yeah the the god's wood and the heart tree yep the heart tree uh it's got a face on it but we learn that it's carved in you know right. we've heard a little bit about the children of the wood in this but they're so distant so, I don't know. I think that this is when people are doing something, they see what's relevant to it. Right. So, comets happen, shooting stars happen, it so happens, here's a shooting star, and she's looking for signs, and this is, you know, here it is, it's for her to grasp onto, and I think that's a lovely thing, I think that's a really human thing. I'm super curious about book two, book yeah. three, book four, yeah. all of a sudden there's this, this greater magical vein running through it, and I hope yeah. there is, I like that. That makes sense. So Danny lights the fire at this point, and the first thing to happen as it begins to heat up is Miri, is it reaching Miri Mazdor. And this was the what I wanted to tie the, the Jewish burial rites to, because we do very quickly hear her screams, but before we do, she begins to sing in a shrill, ululating voice. The flames whirled and writhed, racing each other up the platform. Her song grew louder, shriller, then she gasped again and again, and her song became a shuddering wail, thin and high and full of agony. And, you know, I, I George R. R. Martin plainly pulls from a lot of sources. I don't get a ton of, biblical's the wrong term here because it was later than that, but a ton of, of Judeo-Catholic imagery from him a lot of the time. There's some of it, but I think he focuses more on later history and more on, on mythology from other parts of the world. But this one called to mind for me so strongly the story of the Ten Martyrs, or, or rather one specific martyr of the Ten Martyrs, which is a, a story that is included in the prayers told on Yom Kippur, but this is from the Roman era. This is from, from not long after uh, Jesus' life, was there were rabbis in Israel who were executed by the Roman authorities. Uh, there, there's actually... a because I've just been on a history kick lately for this era. There's an <laughs> interesting conversation among a religious historians uh, about how this is a, a Jewish attempt from somewhere in the second century um, to try and capitalize on the martyr storylines that Christianity uses so strongly right. throughout all of their early saints. And so they said, oh, we should have some of those too, and kind of developed Fair. this story. Yeah. But one of these rabbis in particular was wrapped in a in a wet Torah scroll so as to keep the flames burning longer and, of course, directly disrespect the religion and, uh, and praise as he is burned alive in this process and the prayers, the ululating sound of the prayers escalating to the heavens. And, and there's a specific reference that he can see the letters come off of the parchment mm-hmm. and go up to heaven is the story here. And this seems like a very direct one-to-one reference from George R.R. Martin to me that we have this religious figure who is I mean she's not being killed for her faith she's being killed for the the murder she committed uh, at least from Danny's point of view Um, but it's the same idea as the flames rise around her and her song kind of escalates to the heavens and I wonder what the goal of referencing that here was that's so funny because I I I think that's a beautiful comparison and, and an obvious one to make and I'm familiar with that story as well and the Jewish story and Obviously, we can see similarities here. I, I, I will say, you know, when I was reading this, what came to mind for me was sort of the cliche, not cliche in a strong negative way, but right, like the person who's on the pyre who's saying that they're going to withstand and then <laughs> clearly not. Uh, yeah. I mean, the fire I, does I still remember, kill her. <laughs> yeah. I remember in a history class, right, I, you know, back in college or whatever it was, and and, you know, some teacher was saying, you know, and then this, this revolutionary who died, you know, fighting for their country, 
they're they're known that their last words were, you know, it's it's a it's an honor to die for my country. Mm-hmm. And the teacher added as an aside, although I'm pretty sure that this person was cursing in his native Russian tongue about yeah. how much this hurt. <laughs> uh, and I can't help but think that that you know, here we have George R. R. Martin kind of like meshing these two things together. Absolutely. You have a fantastical situation. She's singing. She's trying to find a way to rise above the pain, and then she falls to it. Yeah. There, it's pain. There's she is no still avoiding human. This pain. Um, I would be interesting. I mean, like, it's funny. I think next episode, George R. R. Martin comes on, right? Like, uh, we can ask him on yeah. our list of questions. Definitely. Uh, I hope all of you tune in for next episode, because for sure, George R. R. Wouldn't R. that be fun? Um, but, I, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I didn't think of that relationship to that particular story if anything Joan of Arc comes to mind and Joan of Arc as a symbol to those sort of early you know those saintly stories of martyrdom and things but I didn't find this to be martyrdom I'm not saying this to go against what you said but to me this had much more to do with the sympathetic viciousness of Danny uh, much more than the sort of Mm -hmm. like honorable martyrdom of you know Miriam's door uh, but interesting, in, interesting as you, uh, what, you're, what you're bringing up in perspective. Yeah, I mean, I'm not trying to say that that she's an honorable martyr. I mean, the, the context certainly doesn't have that, and I could see, to the extent this was an intentional reference by George R. R. Martin, it even just being a commentary on the nature of, of story, right, and yeah. how you know, from the perspective of the Lazarene, the the Lamb Men, that this would be a moment of martyrdom, despite it very much so not seeming that way to Daenerys. Uh, so there are plenty of different directions to go with things here. But moving forward from, from this moment of Miri Mazdor's death, uh, the fire heats up. We get a lot of wing and flame and tongues of flame imagery throughout all of this, and Danny is slowly... Not subtle. <laughs> no, it's not trying to be at this point. Uh, it's not. Although it wasn't earlier in the book either as we'll get to uh, <laughs> but danny kind of trance like gets drawn into the flames uh there you know there are references to exactly as sir jorah feared and sir jorah shouting behind her but she can't really hear him uh, and she's not worried about it she wanders into the flames and sees call drogo in the dancing flames mounted on a horse and riding off into the distance he smiles at her and then then rides off away i really like by the way the image of of Khal Drogo riding away. I like that this is a continued motion of her independence, not, you know, as Khal Drogo, you know, flew to her shoulder and sat mm-hmm. as a tattoo, you know, burnished, burned on her arm or whatever. It, it's, I thought it was a nice sort of, it, it was fan, like, like a flight of fancy. How cute. There he goes. But go, yeah. get out. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, he, she's letting him leave. Uh, yeah. Yeah. She starts to hear cracks, three cracks that accompany the collapsing of the pyre, and she hears once again Sir Jorah screaming behind her in the Dothraki screaming. And she thinks to herself, No, my good knight, do not fear for me. The fire is mine. I am Daenerys Stormborn, daughter of dragons, bride of dragons, mother of dragons. And finally the fire dies down. We skip ahead to the next morning, effectively, when it cools off enough for them to begin searching it. And Sir Jorah finds her dirty and sooty and with her hair burned off but alive completely and she alive. walked into the fire too it's not just yep. i don't know if you said it but but uh i don't you know it just to be clear like she she's not just standing close to a hot fire no she it, went she all the really way into walks it. into yeah. the pyre it, I, it's almost like she's she's really doing what jorah was afraid of right uh, you know and i think that there's a sort of fun sly smile that that i think she can have for herself she's like oh jorah i know what you're worried about and yes i actually am going to do exactly that Although but I it won't be suicide. Exactly yeah, exactly. And uh, and yeah, so he comes in to find her dirty and, and sooty and with her hair burned off, but alive and unhurt and with three baby dragons around her. The cream and gold one, the green and bronze and a black and scarlet beast. Everyone drops to their knees, salutes her, swears fealty, all of the things that they yeah. had declined to do the night before. And we close the book with, for the first time in hundreds of years, the night came alive with the music of dragons. Dun, dun, dun! We made it. We made it, Michael. So, I've had an interesting game to play over the course of this book with this one. Because, you know, obviously way back in our, our prologue episode, you referenced that this was one of the big moments you remembered from the show. Which was 
uh, an obvious one to remember. This is there are dragons. <laughs> yeah, the fact that they are there are dragons, but also just this moment with the fire. You know, this is this was the end of episode ten of season one. You know, they did right. Ned in, in episode nine, and then they did this, and there isn't really any misdirection over the course of the book on this. Right up to this last chapter, like I was saying, where Jorah is afraid that she's going to kill herself, and I really don't think any reader, first time or not, is is going to fall for mm-hmm. that. I don't think it's intended for them to. So I have taken the approach of rather than trying to, you know, push you off it in some ways that without much support from the text for that, I've just decided to kind of avoid the foreshadowing for the most part here because it is seated so heavily mm-hmm. throughout this book. Uh, you know, the most obvious, she has repeated dreams of giving birth to dragons. I think it's pretty obvious that's what's going yeah. on there. Yes. Uh, <laughs> the pain in her abdomen and the wetness on her thighs and all of this. Uh, and while I, I don't think she literally gives birth to them here, that, that reference to the mother of dragons is clearly the relevant analogy. Yeah. I I think that the... Danny... And I was saying this a little earlier, right? But, like, Danny's the odd man out when it comes to characters that we know in this in this book. Mm-hmm. She, her story is such... Is thematically so different from what everyone else is is written as and i don't i don't mean that her what she's going through and it is right like different than you know rob let's say or john but i think that that george r, r. martin's approach to the writing with her with, with, is really from a whole different perspective is is, is truly from a, a different way of doing it i wonder if as we follow john and you know the 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 night's watch north of the wall if we'll get more of that storytelling right. of you know, what's beyond the wall and those fantastical magical things back there, you know, the others and, and, and all of that. But but I, I do, it's just very, her, every other character has been sort of this sort of like huge spikes and valleys and spikes and valleys, this erratic nature of what's going to happen to them, what's going this way. He's Ned's finding stuff out, but then he's being stopped and stymied and now he's finding more out, but now he's made a right. little further and now a little further. Danny's really been on a single motion forward. Uh, she has gone from young innocent girl you know young child not child of Viserys but child you know like like sister of Viserys to becoming a queen to becoming a leader of like like next to her king to this and yeah. you know I'm, I'm, I'm dying to know if her story arc continues this way if it will continue to just like snowball forward and she will get stronger and stronger and stronger or if soon she'll become just another you know despot <laughs> you yeah. know like yeah like uh just torturing and ruining the lives whether of she goes the the miri mazdor direction or the caldrogo direction mm. kind of the two yeah. poles in this pie are per- pulling her in opposite directions there is one moment of the foreshadowing that i just wanted to single out here and, and point out for you and for our listeners because i really love it and i think it's a little bit more subtle in terms of how they go about it but much earlier in the book danny had asked her various handmaidens about dragons uh, and if they had ever seen dragons talking about it and they get into some of the mythology that different cultures have around it and the the woman uh, Dorea the the sex worker that mm-hmm. Viserys procures to teach her uh, says that she heard the story from Karth once which is a, a place we don't really know anything about that dragons come from the moon uh, when Danny asks about it she says the the Carth- carthine person i spoke to told me the moon was an egg once there were two moons in the sky but one wandered too close to the sun and cracked from the heat a thousand thousand dragons poured forth and drank the fire of the sun that is why dragons breathe flame one day the other moon will kiss the sun too and then it will crack and the dragons will return and we never uh we have no in- idea if this is you know foreshadowing of sorts with the moon but Danny and Drogo have pet names for each other, which are my mm. sun and stars referring to him and moon of huh. my life. And so here we have Danny, the moon, coming too close to Drogo, the sun, and it resulting in the cracking of these eggs and the procuring of the dragons. 
And there is some kind of, you know, monomyth overlap with Dothraki culture here because they respond to Dorea, Irian Jiqui, the, uh, the, the Dothraki handmaidens that she has, say, no, this is wrong and you're stupid. Moon is no egg. Moon is God, woman, wife of sun. So at least we have some overlap there. And, and certainly that's where presumably the pet names came from of some sort of merger, some sort of, of contact marital connection between the sun and moon that who knows maybe produces offspring offspring and if there are multiple cultures with something along these lines maybe there's something more to it that's that's interesting because obviously there there's plenty of foreshadowing leading to this and, and and hints to where this is going throughout the book and and that that was one that i didn't pick up on by any means right uh, very very yeah. small i am curious too about like you know, like like Illyria, like where the, the origin of these eggs, and I understand them as decorative, and I understand them as expensive, and all of this. But you know, is there similar to the question of like you know, Khal Drogo didn't keep the the, the poultice or whatever it's called, you know, from from Miriam's door on him? It, it, did that really cause the pain and death or or something else? And and I I I don't know. There's I get suspicious of convenience right uh as as a writing tool you know it's like uh like oh and then you know yeah sure she got a gift and and now it so happened that that this gift turned it like like a question that i'd 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 extend this out to is like is every decorative dragon egg that's out there a dragon ready to hatch if thrown into the fire by the right person and that's 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 a perfect lead-in to my question for you so you know like you mentioned we're going to do a wrap-up episode where we're going to talk a lot more about Danny's broader arc and and various other items from her story here, but I am curious if you have any thoughts on what happened here, and I, I assume you don't, and it sounds from that like you don't, but we do have such certainty from all corners of the world that the dragons are gone. We hear it from Maester Lewin, who of course we know is wrong all the time, but we also hear it from the Dothraki, and we hear it from Viserys, and we hear it from, you know, the the skulls in the throne room like this is a very clear through line and so what is it about danny as a person or this situation that she's put together here death paying for life the funeral pyre like it, do you have any sense maybe even miri Mazdor and some aspect of her magical abilities do you have any sense or thoughts on what is triggering this here is it simply that danny herself is the dragon like we've had as a theme throughout this book and and so it was just you know her ancestors couldn't do it but it was waiting for her what's going through your head there you know i hate to do it but go back to that word of convenience like it'd be a pretty silly story if you know she died right (laughs) they're they're rocks um (laughs) yeah and and sir jorah woke up the next morning and there were charred remains i knew it (laughs) damn it (laughs) uh no, I, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think that there is, a, from, from a writing perspective, there, there's always a fine line to kind of, like, find a balance on, right? One is setting your situation up to be surprising. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if the story was that dragons kept being born and, you know, all the, you know, but they kept being killed by, you know, the bad, you know, kings of the West right uh, at birth. And then it's like, okay, great. And she smuggled out these eggs and it's like, okay, clear. But that's less of a surprise than what we right. got here at the end, if you will. Uh, that said, too much of a surprise and it seems to kind of come out of nowhere. I personally think that it is a, like a, a messianic story. Okay. She is the dragon. That this is a lineage thing that has led to her. Uh, being in this right position, I don't, I, I, I don't think I'd enjoy finding out, and whatever, to a certain extent, but don't think I'd enjoy finding out that, yeah, oh, yeah, just nobody thought to put the eggs on a fire. Right, like, that would, yeah, I, I like, like, 100% agree with you there. That would kind of suck. You mentioned also about, like, the throne room and, and, and seeing the skulls there and things, and, I mean, just, like, this has been an evolution or a de-evolution of dragons over right. time. This is not that, like, and then they were wiped out. This is they were as small as dogs by the end of it. You know, they, these were not the big, robust dragons that were once there, except now these eggs hatched, and while we don't really know, this, they seemed already dog-sized to me. As I right, was it. and they're, yeah, presumably like they're these babies. Are young baby ones. They seem virile. Let me, let me throw something out there just for you to think about 
in terms of Danny being a you know a messiah story type figure who is the one to make this happen is this is not the only place where we have mystical things from the past coming back the other primary one of course being north of the wall where we have seen right. the others these things that have not appeared for thousands of years now the skulls in the throne room much more recent than thousands of years ago so so maybe there isn't a connection to be drawn there but it does seem uh like we have two data points for some sort of resurgence of these you know legendary mythical magical beings coming mm -hmm. back into existence and that certainly would fit quite nicely with your conversation around the magic slowly making its way back into this story as we get into book two maybe it just has to do with winter uh yeah. although i don't really stand by that i think yeah i i don't know it, it's it, part of me thinks as, as you're saying this too you know that sort of like cliched movie trope of like we took so much from the earth that now the earth is taking from us mm -hmm. you know the earth's <laughs> angry and it's getting back at us for with volcano okay. yeah. that's why all the volcanoes are erupting and it's like okay like i yeah i i pay i see those movies <laughs> but like yeah. like i don't i i to your point in my mind i've actually been thinking of it as very separate messianic story and i'm stress i'm over stressing messianic here right like the story of daenerys being this this return home of the dragon this rearrival right. of this character right 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 no i understand you with the others though i honestly was thinking of them much more of a they've always been there but now they're getting more brazen okay uh then then they just happen to reappear this year and that's not based on much besides no it's know, a good theory so it makes total sense but yeah, certainly we should have remembered, you know, they've the been dragons. here before. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that that's sort of my thinking right now. I, okay. I am interested, though. Like, I mean, maybe it's it is right. Like, like the stars have aligned in such a way that magic is afoot now. Yeah, whatever. But I don't know that no, nothing's yeah. pointing me in that direction. All right. I like that, though. Well, that's uh, that's all I got for us for, for wrapping this up. We've got one more episode to do on things, uh, which I'm really looking forward to. Hear your thoughts on the book as a whole. Do you have anything to add on Danny Ten? Uh, honestly, not anything new from what we've been saying. Just that I, I was excited to finally get to this part that I knew I did know was coming. But the it was just really awesome to see Danny evolve. Yeah, uh, I was expecting dragons. I didn't expect Danny to turn into new Danny like this, and Ooh, in a great okay. way, in yeah, a really like awesome that. way. And I really had a fun time with it. Sounds great. Well, I'll see you next time for our wrap up. Bye, Dan. That's all for this episode. Next week, we'll be wrapping up book one of Game of Thrones. If you enjoy our episodes, please help us out by subscribing and rating the podcast. Thanks, as always, for listening.